Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's weekly Wednesday live stream, where we interview labor leaders about current labor issues. On our March 10th, 2021 program, we discuss the court case Uber versus Aslan, California's Prop 22, and fighting for the global rights of gig workers. Our guests included Yasin Aslam, who is the lead claimant that recently won a historic court case against Uber, and he's president of the App Drivers and Couriers Union. Other guests included Willie Solis of the Gig Worker Collective and Maria C. Figueroa, who is director of labor and policy research at Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations. This week's hosts are Bama Threa of the Gig Podcast and Maximilian Alvarez of Working People Podcast and the Real News Network. My name is Evan Papp and I co-produce the Wednesday Weekly Livestream with Chris Garlock. Here's an extended excerpt from the show. Welcome to the Labor Radio Network's weekly live stream. Really psyched to be here tonight. I'm Bama Athreya. I host a podcast called The Gig, which is about gig workers, and that's the subject of our show tonight. And my co-host is Maximilian Alvarez. Max, you want to say hello? I'm Maximilian Alvarez. I am the host of the podcast Working People, where I interview workers about their lives, jobs, dreams, and struggles. And for my day job, I'm the editor-in-chief at the Real News Network here in Baltimore. Our first guest is Yasin Aslam. And Yasin is joining us from London, UK. And I want to just give a little background before we jump into asking you some questions, Yasin. You are with the app Drivers and Couriers Union in the UK, which is actually a fairly new union, but you've been organizing for a while. And you are famous or in some quarters infamous because you're the little guy that took on one of the biggest platform companies in the world, Uber, and uh, decided to sue them because you didn't think they were treating you right. So after many years, congratulations, you and your co-plaintiffs just had a really exciting victory in the UK Supreme Court. I played a small role in it because uh, don't forget we had a lot of uh, people in the process that supported us, including the lawyers, the drivers, and um, so so it wasn't like we all it was done collectively. So I would I wasn't able to do it on my own, even though it's my name at the top and I was one of the first claimants. But yeah, main thing is we managed to do it. I actually started working as a minicab driver, they call it, in London. So in London, you have uh, licensed taxi drivers and you have the licensed private hire drivers. So I become a private hire driver back in 2006, you know, when I was made redundant for my IT job, just while I was looking for a job. So it's just like a temporary thing for me. But I got stuck into it because you work hard on a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and you had the weekdays off. And... So Uber come into London 2012, but when they first arrived in London, it is more about doing the high-end executive, um, like the S-class Mercedes and that kind of stuff. So when they launched the Uber X in 2013, I was one of the first drivers to actually be there on the first day when they launched. So when Uber come into the market, it's all about you're in charge. You know, you're the boss. You don't need to tell anyone when you're going to log on when you're going to log off and all that kind of stuff. But for me, when I really started campaigning, it's more about the way drivers were assaulted and attacked in the job and they had no protection. Let's say I got assaulted by a passenger. 
Uber would refuse to, you know, cooperate. And then at the same time, we had like a rating system, you know, like where the customer rates you. So even though Uber says you're your own boss and you're running your own business, indirectly, there was something there that was managing. You're being like performance managed. And at the same time, there's a control element over you where, for example, if my rating dropped below 4.4, I get kicked off the platform. You know, and we couldn't challenge that. So I've seen a lot of my friend drivers that were getting kicked off the platform unfairly, you know. And then at the same time, especially when some of my colleague or friend got assaulted and the customer then rated them badly, you know, like the question was, you know, like what protection do we have? Where the good thing about traditional cab office was if you ever got into any problems, you know, you, you radio in. If there's any drivers parked by nearby, they'll come and assist you. Now, the whole idea of technology is to make you feel safer and better. And one of the things that Uber done very well was isolate everyone. You know, so there's Uber coming into the market. They came in so aggressively, like when I started, and I'm talking like over the four or five years, is the fares went down so much. I saw the fares drop three times. I saw the commission go um, up. So at the moment, Uber has about 60,000 drivers in London. But when I started working with them, they only had about 1,000 drivers. So you could see how it went up. So you could see how the model is there. It's all about making the fares cheaper to get more and more customers on the platform and having more and more drivers on the platform so they got supplies of drivers. So you got drivers sitting around empty as an old driver. We could see what was happening because they were killing off the market around us. And if you got kicked out from Uber, you, you technically have to leave the trade. So my case was more about trying to help drivers with, you know, when they were getting assaulted, you know. So when I filed my case back in 2015, I was enrolled in a whistleblowing stuff. So in order to be protected under the Whistleblowing Act, you had to be a worker. And at the same time, I met James Farrah who got assaulted by a passenger and it took 10 weeks for Uber to release that information to the police. So, you know, like we were working together at the time. So uh, when we spoke to the solicitors or the lawyers, they turned around and said, look, you definitely have a case here and this needs to be challenged. And that's where the case started from. So really just even to be able to get records for a driver who was assaulted it turned out that you needed the company to recognize that you were employees. Is that right? Well, the point was the contract was made in such a way where if something went wrong, they would disappear. You know, so they basically, you're running your business. If I got killed or something, it's my business. I was running my business and something happened. So there's no one taking responsibility. So they dragged this on for six years. They rely on these workers that won't fight back. It's all about you getting burnt out, you giving up and walking away. So if you look at the six years and even like the damages I get for the remedy or whatever you want to call it, it's not even worth it. But the point was someone had to do it. The whole time you've also been yeah. organizing this new app drivers and couriers union. So talk a little so, bit about that. So, like I said, the organizing was more personal because it was more about when I was seeing people getting assaulted. You know, I just didn't like the fact that, you know, it was wrong. And like I said, at the same time, I saw what Uber was doing because I was talking to drivers from different places, especially around San Francisco when they first started protesting there. So I could see like what was happening there is going to happen here. 
And then I started talking to some drivers in California around LA. And then you could see like the issue was it wasn't just unique to London. And even now, as I go on, it's exactly the same model everywhere. So I started organizing, I set up my small association in 2014. We then went through various stage. Last year, we set up our own dedicated union in the UK. So we're the first union ever to represent gig workers, yeah, app drivers and couriers union. So that was a massive achievement. Everyone used to talk about you can't organize Uber drivers. And since we won in the Supreme Court, we're getting phone calls after phone calls. How do I join the union? So people see the power. And one of the things behind that was us guys and the team behind me and the drivers, whether James Farrow, all of us across the UK, we've just been persistent, you know, and we managed to achieve something that, you know, like where now everyone's saying you must be part of this union because this is the union that will help you. I, I wanted to kind of highlight one thing. These gig companies... They try really hard to write our rights out of existence with very kind of clever legalese, right? It's really uh, great to see that the, the judge of, in the Supreme Court looked past that to see the reality that was right in front of our faces, right? And so it seemed like there were two big realities that the Supreme Court kind of wrote in stone, which is one, the way the relationship between Uber and its drivers is one of employer and employee, right? So ride, the drivers are workers. You know, the Uber controls the rates, Uber controls the times, Uber can kick you off the app. It also cut through the bullshit argument of Uber and Lyft when they say that they're not a transportation company, they're a technology company, right? Could you, could you talk a little bit about what that part of the ruling means? These companies are hiding behind this technology and the way they program the system. So we're seeing more and more drivers getting deactivated from the platform because they're rejecting jobs. But, but when they get deactivated, they're being told that they committed some kind of fraud or fraudulent activities. But when you actually look at that data, it shows that it's, you know, they were cancelling jobs, you know. So the point behind it is even though we won at Supreme Court, we still have a lot to do because these companies, they'll just hide behind this technology. And that's Uber's argument. They're saying the law should not apply to us because we're a technology company. So technically what they're saying to me is because it's an app, I should be exploited or I should not have any rights which, you know, like the laws have been around for years and years. And even the Supreme Court said, yes, it's the same laws, nothing changes. So it's how you spin it. But like I said, we're going to see more and more of this. And, and, and I, like I said, it's very important for that data element because the, it's just so easy for companies like Uber to just tweak the system or program it in a certain way to get away from that liability. So it's still we still need that transparency. We still need to be able to you know, access our data. My point from day one always been about the law being on force. I'm not saying we need new laws. We have existing laws. But the problem we have is someone somewhere is failing to enforce their laws. And it means companies like Uber could come in and not obey the law because they could afford not to. You know, so average, like a normal small company or cab office would never be able to fight it all the way to the Supreme Court. Willie, let's let's bring you in here because we saw you nodding and I know a lot of the things that Yassine was talking about resonate with you and your own story. So I guess just by way of introducing you to our viewers, if you guys don't know who Willie Solis is, you should. He's amazing. Willie <clears throat> is a shipped shopper 
from Dallas, Texas, and shipped as as you all know is the delivery service for Target, the the mega store chain Target, which relies on gig workers like Willie. Uh, Willie has a background in construction and has years of experience running his own business. And Willie began working for Shipped in 2019 and has been deeply involved in gig worker organizing over the last two years. And he's actually the lead organizer for Shipped Shoppers with the Gig Workers Collective. Shout out to the Gig Workers Collective and Vanessa Bain and everyone there. All right, Willie, let's get you in here. What are your thoughts on, on what you were hearing from Yassine? Wow, your story you're seeing is, is, is exactly our story. And it just translates so well to the, the fight that we have here in the United States as well. Much of the things that you were talking about in regards to the levels of control, exercise of that control, the spin that is being given and the, the way that these gay companies are, are portraying the message overall, it's just astounding how they think that, that on, on its face, they can get away with such, such lies, you know, at the end of the day. The shift operates in much the same way that Uber does. I've actually worked for Uber Eats and various other gig apps and I can tell you that the way that they operate is very, very similar. And to hear your story from across the pond, it resonates completely and it gives hope for us on this side of things to, to, to advance the conversation here. Congrats again to you and everyone across the pond on this huge victory. Thank you. So I'll, I'll pick this up to, to kind of continue our um, chat with uh, gig worker and organizer, Willie Solis. I wanted to make sure that we had at least a couple minutes to talk about where Prop 22 and uh, fits into all of this, right? For viewers who are unfamiliar, could you talk a bit about what Prop 22 is and how it fits into this discussion? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about 22. It's a, a very important topic. The basic basic function of 22 is that it's an exemption to law, AB5. AB5 was passed because of court cases, the Dynamex case in particular. Um, it was codifying the Dynamex ruling into law where it, AB5 actually says that gig workers should be classified as employees and not independent contractors. So for a whole year between January 1st of uh, 2020 to the time that it actually got passed in November, gig workers were actually employees. And as Yassine was saying, it, the regulators were not moving fast enough to, to basically enforce that. And in the meantime, gig companies operated in the same, same style, same fashion that they have been operating for, for, for years, exploiting workers, using algorithmic despotism to, to basically gain control over workers in a way that we couldn't fight back. They opened up the coffers to a war chest of over $200 million to push forth Prop 22 in the general election. And they were able to pass all this misinformation and disinformation campaigns and confuse the voting public that Prop 22 was actually good for workers. And it wasn't. And it clearly wasn't. And just like in, in the UK, they were on the wrong side of the law, plain and simple, and they weren't able to win in the courts. So what they ended up doing was spent this 200 and something million dollars over the course of several months, a couple of months, to get Prop 22 really going. And once they got it going, they, they were able to basically lie to not only workers, but also the, the voting public. In doing so, it gave a lot of people in the gig economy and gig organizing like a case of, wow, we just lost, right? They handed us a huge loss. But the reality is that they have, are giving us the tools that we need uh, moving forward to basically address what it is that they actually did or are doing under Prop 22. They're writing our campaigns for us. I, I talk to workers every single day every single day. And, and in doing so, I'm hearing conversations with workers like, hey, I'm not getting the 30 cents per mile. Well, let's dive into that. Why are you not getting it? And I mean, it's, it's, it's issue after issue, them controlling the boundaries of where you can go. The level of control has 
exacerbated. They're treating us like employees without any of the of the uh, social safety nets, without any of the proper pay, without any of the proper protections. They're taking all of this away from us, right? And at the end of the day, what they're doing is taking all that extra profit that they're gaining and putting it in their pockets. So, you know, at the end of the day, these Prop 22 passing gives us the ability and the tools that we need on a national level to carry the conversation forward. I do want to properly introduce our next guest, Maria Figueroa. Maria, we're going to bring you into this as well because you've been looking at these issues nationally and internationally. Maria is with the Cornell Industrial and Labor Relations School's Worker Institute, and she is also on the board of the Worker Justice Center in New York and is working very closely with gig workers who are organizing, delivery workers in particular, who are organizing in New York City. And Maria, one of the reasons why we were excited to have you join us tonight is that you are really taking this from local to global. And, you know, we've been in touch and I know you pulled together a virtual event with gig worker organizations from around the world just a couple months ago. But where else are we seeing gig worker organizations coming up and fighting these fights? Mm -hmm. The best source of optimism for me and for everyone who is involved in organizing is the ability of workers to just self-organize, right? That surge in, in organizing uh, and activism that we've been seeing from Australia, from Africa, is just a matter of keeping up the, the fight, right? And come up with innovative responses. To, to all the challenges. Yeah, what happened when you actually got people from different countries into the same virtual space? I know you had groups from Mexico, groups from Argentina, Netherlands. what they talk about? Yeah, they have the desire to share, share knowledge, strategies. How did you do it? For instance, we had food delivery workers from Norway and food delivery workers from Argentina in Mexico, in New York. And of course, what came up is like the question about, okay, what is your legal framework, right? What, what are, how are the laws in your country? <clears throat> because that's the other issue. We all start from different starting points, right? Because that depends on the legal framework, right? Of the country in which we live. Yeah, although the other thing that we have in common is <clears throat> all transnational companies at the end of the day, right? And, and you know, whether they're taking advantage of workers in Norway or Mexico, it's coming back to the same capital holders. That is true. Well, you know, it's so inspiring to hear any story of workers, you know, sharing resources, showing solidarity, sharing strategies internationally, like, that's the shit that gets me up in the morning. Beyond workers in different countries kind of communicating and sharing, have there been discussions about how we can act internationally in concert? Because I think the thing that comes to mind, it was what, spring of 2019, where there was the global Uber boycott? I think that my dad, at that time, that was his first strike that he had ever participated in. And it was really, he called me and he said, hey, I might head down to LAX. I hear a bunch of the drivers are down there, which was really cool because I was, I was sending him links. I was like, look, drivers in India are doing this too. Drivers in Latin America are doing this too. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just wanted to kind of ask about that. You know, even if we're playing on nationally idiosyncratic terrain, what possibilities might there be for us coordinating internationally? 
Oh yeah, these platforms are going everywhere, right? In every sector of the economy. And so I know of domestic workers in Europe connecting with South Asian domestic worker groups and also in Latin America. And so, you know, it all starts sometimes with a conference, an international conference, and, and people get together, or, you know, the Solidarity Center of the AFL, you know, running some kind of program, international program, and they all come together, and there is a, there is a lot of hunger for that. And Maria, what you were just saying reminded me of Willie's story, because Willie will tell you he didn't set out to be an organizer, but he made one phone call to another gig worker that really kind of started the process that turned him into an organizer. And how many phone calls did you end up making in one month, Willie? Over 650 in, in two weeks. And, and we all connected and resonated with each other based on the same commonality and same story. These companies try to keep us apart, but our stories are too common and, and it brings us together for sure. Let's keep those conversations going. And speaking of which, if you're watching right now, tune in every week for new Labor Radio Podcast Network live streams. We got to wrap up, but this has been so great. Bama, it's been an honor to co-host this with you. And, and please, everyone, go check out the Gig Podcast, check out Working People, and check out the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Thank you to Willie. Thank you to Maria. Thank you to Yassine. Thank you to Evan and Chris and everyone for putting this together. We'll see you guys uh, next week. That was an excerpt from our March 10th, 2021 Labor Radio Podcast Network live stream. You can watch the full episode by visiting our website at laborradionetwork.org and you can follow the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram using the hashtag LaborRadioPod. We'd love to hear from you. Tune in during the Wednesday live stream from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, and we'll read your questions on air to post a guest. The live stream is co-produced with Chris Garlock of Union City Radio. My name is Evan Papp of Empathy Media Lab, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, which has grown to over 90 shows in five countries and serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. Our social media guru is Harold Phillips of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, and our podcast weekly editor is Patrick Dixon of Labor History Today. And remember, we all play a role in this working class struggle. Union solidarity forever.